I'm really excited to dive into this. Let me start by telling you uh, my story. When I was 16 years old, uh, I got radically on fire for Jesus, um, was just a total out of control troublemaking teenager. People tell me all the time, I can totally see that about you. Well, thanks a lot. I, I appreciate that. But I was just in trouble all the time, and uh, I got radically saved, fell in love with Jesus, and this oh, the only girl that I really knew that really loved Jesus at the time thought I was attractive because now I was a Christian, right? So she wanted to be my girlfriend, and I was like, all right. Yeah. If all I knew was it'd take was a little bit of Jesus to land you, I'd have done that a while. No, you know. Um, so her and I become boyfriend and girlfriend, and the first thing that she invites me to is a Tuesday night barn worship gathering. All the charismatics are like, I know what's coming. I show up there. I have no Bible training. I have no background in Pentecostalism, none of that whatsoever. And I get there, and everything's normal while we're having a meal. Like, everything's, everything's normal at that point, right? Everyone's eating. I'm like, wow, people love Jesus. This is so cool. It's my first time in Christian community. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> the piano starts playing. And it started playing this tune that was like, okay, uh, this, and, and everyone started changing on me, right? Everyone's like, oh, okay, here it is. It's ready. It's time. And then this lady stands up in the middle of the barn. There's probably 40, 50 people there. And she says, right now, pray out in the Spirit. And the place went crazy. Just sell a Honda, sell a Honda, sell a Honda everywhere, right? It just went nuts, and I've never been around that before in my life, so I'm sitting there, I kid you not, you can't make this up, I'm a 16-year-old kid, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what is happening, and this old man from across the room says, we've got an empty spirit, and he locks eyes with me, literally, I'm the only one in the room like this, and he locks eyes with me, he says, we got an empty spirit, and they, I'm talking, it was like an episode of The Walking Dead. They found the body, and they were like, they just descended on me. I had the old man rubbing oil in my hair. He's, all, he's rubbing oil in my hair. They're touching me. They're praying in tongues. They're saying, let go, brother. Let go. Let the Spirit of God go and all this. And I am, I just started a football cadence. I was like, red 32, red 32, blue 18, blue 18, red 32, just to get out of there. I was like, get them off of me, right? And I left there, and you know what I did? broke up with her. <laughs> I broke up with her, and I became a card-carrying Baptist. I literally Googled. I was like, what denomination does not believe in speaking in tongues? That's me. And I was so viciously against Pentecostals, Charismatics, whatever it was, Disneyland. I didn't want anything to do with it, right? I was like, these people are crazy. So then I go to Johannesburg, South Africa. And in Johannesburg, South Africa, uh, I did not know this. Here's another one that pulled the wool over my eyes. Rudaport Baptist Church was right there in the heart of Johannesburg. And even the Baptist churches are spirit-filled in South Africa, right? And I didn't know this. And so I spent weeks with some of the most humble, loving, Christ-honoring pastors. I'm talking about guys 
who were pastoring a church during the day and, and picking up trash at night and barely able to feed their families with joy on their face. Thrilled to just be serving the Lord. And I fell in love with them. They invited me to a tent meeting. Ah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't speak Afrikaans anyway. I mean, I understand a little bit, but I promise you this was not Afrikaans. And I get there. And there is this move of the Spirit of God in such a safe place, in such a, a Christ-honoring place. And I began to talk to Pastor Sean Heltzinger about that. I began to walk. I, I started school at a, a seminary, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I remember sitting in the class, and I remember us walking through Acts 2, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 14, Romans chapter 8, and hearing every argument for uh, the assumption that tongues had ceased. And I just remember thinking to myself, this doesn't add up. Something doesn't connect here. Yet I still had this wound in me from this crazy experience at 16 that I, I didn't really want much to do with it, but I couldn't justify it. So then I'm in South Africa. I come back and I go to the King's University, which is Jack Hayford, the four-square denomination. It's like uh, he is the king of charisma, right? And there spent all of this time walking through the Holy Spirit and gathering a theology of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm finishing a doctorate at Southeastern, which is an Assemblies of God University, right? So I'm telling you, I've dipped my toes in every water that there is out there when it comes to theology. And I, I share that with you today to say this. Here is what I notice 99% of the time when this topic comes up. We talk very little about scripture and an awful lot about experience. We talk very little about theology, about what the Bible says. And we talk way too much about experience. How did I tell you last week how theology is normally formed? It is experience, influence, then the Bible. Here's what I did. I had an experience. I didn't like it. I found the Baptist, people who would influence me in the way that I wanted to go. And then after that, I started reading the Bible and actually trying to figure out what I actually believe. The unfortunate thing is if you have the wrong experience, most people just stop right here. They're crazy. I want none of that. Right? So today, here, here's what I'm going to beg you to do. If you've had an experience like mine, let me be the first to apologize to you on behalf of all Pentecostals, Charismatics, and everybody else. Um, what, an, what an unfortunate, sad abuse of a gift of the Holy Spirit. And I'm sorry that you went through that. If you're in here today and you're like, buddy, I don't care what you say, I'm not heading in that direction. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Evaluate. Is this experience? Is this influence or is this the Bible that I'm following? And here's what I'm going to do. This is going to be a different format today. I am going to teach for about 20 minutes. I'm going to give you so much scripture, you, you won't be able to do anything but land on what the Bible tells you. And at the very end, I'm going to give you application, uh, and we're going to apply it to ourselves. Okay, so like I said, if you got invited to church on a day like today, wow, people don't really like you that invited you. They, they set you up for this. Let's dive into all of this. I, I love, I had a, uh, a pastor friend tell me, I've, I've been talking to a lot of pastor friends um, within different denominations this week, and one of them said, said, man, we have often treated the Holy Spirit like a shaken up can of pop. 
He said, we open it up and it explodes everywhere. And the ones who get it on their lips, it tastes really good, but everyone else, it's a mess. They're like, man, it's just messy. I'm just sticky. I don't want to be a part of that. Here's my promise to you. We will not become that environment because I don't think it's biblical. I don't think it lines up with scripture at all. I'm going to show you by the time we're done, every place in the Bible where it talks about speaking, praying, worshiping in tongues. Every single place. Okay, here we go. Start with Acts chapter 2, 1 through 6. We read this last week. I'll skim through it. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. All right, let's skip to the next one. Acts chapter 10. 44 through 46, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other languages and praising God. Acts 19, 1 through 6. While Apollos was in Corinth, Uh, And that's where we'll spend the rest of the day, Paul's letters to the Corinthian church. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them, no. They replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked them. They replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. Verse 5, as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Now, uh, that's every account of tongues in the book of Acts. I told you this last week. There are 22 accounts in the book of Acts where somebody receives Jesus, gets saved through finding hope and and, and faith in Jesus. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. There's 22 accounts. We just read the three where they speak in tongues. So it doesn't happen every single time. It didn't happen every single time. No doubt about it happens, right? No doubt about it happens. We can't deny that it happens. But when we begin to form our theology of speaking in tongues on Acts chapter 2, and everything about the Holy Spirit becomes speaking in tongues, we begin to miss. I've tried to tell you this. There's a reason I waited till week 5 to talk about this. We miss the whole person of the Holy Spirit. All right, so after these occurrences happened in Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, this spiritual elitism rose up in the church, right? And it, went, it ran rampant through Corinth. And here's what it was. It was, I speak in tongues, you don't speak in tongues, I am far more spiritual than you. I am just, well, oh, this conversation went like this. Oh, you don't speak in tongues, I speak in tongues. Bless you. God bless your heart. Maybe one day you'll rise to my level of spirituality, okay? So before we dive into all of this, I want to have a little session here where we have definitions and false beliefs, okay? Definitions and false beliefs. Number one is this. Here is the definition of what it means today to pray or speak in another language. This is N.T. Wright. By the way, is the 
the foremost scholar on the New Testament. There is just, you, it's, it's not argued in theology. Nobody's smarter than N.T. Wright when it comes to New Testament theology. And by the way, he prays and speaks in tongues. Here's what he says. It's the gift of speech which, though making sounds and using apparent or actual languages, somehow bypasses the speaker's conscious mind. That's a very scholarly definition. I'll tell you my definition. It's a prayer praise of the Spirit that my mind doesn't understand. What is it? It is a prayer or a praise of the Spirit my mind doesn't understand. Listen, Paul, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. This is where we get the definition. He says, so what shall we do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. So we have the definition, right? We have a working definition of it is a prayer or praise of the spirit my mind doesn't understand. Now let's talk about false beliefs. There's three of them that I want to cover really quick. Number one is this. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a false belief. It's 100% false. Ephesians 1.13, Paul says, And now you Gentiles, having heard the truth, the good news that God saves, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. There's a false belief that if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit, and that is not true. Paul just said, you are sealed on the day of redemption is another thing that Paul says uh, in the book of Ephesians. I think it's in chapter 4. Here is a really quick rule or law of theology, okay? Are you ready? You cannot divide the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You cannot divide it. Once you begin to divide, you cannot take Jesus away from the Father. That's how your relationship with the Father is through Jesus. You cannot take the Father away from Jesus because your relationship with Jesus connects you to the Father. You cannot take the Holy Spirit from Jesus because Jesus said, when I leave, I am giving you one who is greater than me, who's going to be your helper. So if we say, well, you, can be, you, you, can, you don't have the Holy Spirit when you're saved, and Paul is saying, when you get saved, you are sealed on the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit, we're trying to divide the Trinity. You cannot divide the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God and three equal but distinct persons, okay? Number two, the false belief is if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. That is a radical Pentecostalism, but it is still in some circles today, and it's just, it's just not true. There is, there is evidence after evidence after evidence of many examples in Scripture of people getting saved, filled with the Spirit, not speaking in tongues. The, the thief on the cross is a great example. Jesus said, you will be with me today in paradise, and after he passed, there's no evidence of him speaking in tongues. There's none of, that is, that is not, that is a false belief. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. That's false. That's another false belief that we reject. Number three, there's a false belief that speaking in tongues is not for today. Trust me. I can quote to you and argue with you. Make me the Baptist, we'll have an argument. Make me the Pentecostal, we'll have the argument. I know all of them, right? And the 1 Corinthians chapter 13, tongues have ceased, knowledge has ceased, prophecy has faded away, and all of, all of these things that are, that are said. 
that's talking about the second coming of Christ. It's just crystal clear. Why would Paul write an entire chapter afterwards on the operation of tongues within the church if it was a false, if it was a, it was a belief that had ceased? There is just evidence after evidence throughout Scripture. There's nowhere concrete. I do agree. Acts chapter 2 was an isolated event, but then I believe that isolated event also has principles for prayer and worship that we're going to see with Paul. So, is speaking in tongues for today, we would uphold that belief as yes, theologically. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Head there if you would. That's where we're going to spend the entire day. Paul has written a beautiful chapter on the theology of speaking in tongues. And like I said, I told you, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm an equal opportunity offender, so I'm going to offend everybody today, okay? I'm not going to just skip out on you. I'm going to get you, and I'm going to get your friends, and I'm going to get your mom and dad too, right? Um, so, here we go with 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You need to know what we're talking about. The context is to the church. Paul is writing to a Corinthian church that has gone charismaniac. They've lost it. They have charisma and chaos with zero order. He is speaking to the corporate gathering of the church, okay? He's not talking to you in your private devotional time. He's not talking to you on a long walk in the national forest. He's, he is talking to us right now in the corporate gathering of the church. There's a sentiment that I agree with. I, I wrote it down here. Uh, I don't agree with it in principle, but I love the sentiment. This, this man said, too much of the word will dry you up. Too much of the spirit will blow you up. Enough of both and you'll grow up. That's truly what our goal is today, is to have the right theology of what we're studying. Let me give you a couple words, and then I promise you we'll be on to the good stuff. Word number one is glossa. It's the Greek word for tongues. Uh, Bill Mounts, Dr. Bill Mounts, who he literally wrote the textbook for reading biblical Greek. If you take a theology course and you have to take Greek, you're reading Bill Mounts. He was, he was consulted on the NIV committee for translating the Bible, and they asked him, Acts chapter 2, why did you translate glossa to tongues? And he said, merely tradition. He said, the word has always and simply means other languages. It's where we get the English word glossary, right? So when you hear me say other languages, I just think it's cleaner. I think it's clearer. I think tongues has a bad reputation. Even when you say it, I'm like, where's the old man? You know, like, uh... Yeah, you know? um, but so we're going to talk about other languages. Um, the other word is prophecy. We need to understand what New Testament prophecy is. Prophecy for the New Testament church is speaking a word from the Spirit that fulfills Scripture. Let me say it again. Prophecy for the New Testament church is speaking a word from the Spirit that fulfills Scripture. Let me tell you what it's not. It's not greater than Scripture, it's not in contradiction to Scripture, and it is not more than Scripture. The Old Testament prophets were the voice of God. New Testament believers, we have the voice of God. Prophecy is bringing this to life in a personal way. Prophecy is preaching right now. Prophecy is encouraging your coworker who's going through a tough time with the word and life of God. Prophecy is when a family member reaches out to you and they're hurting and you give them scripture and you tell them, look, God is going to be with you. He is for you. He's going to cover. Prophecy is when we're standing in the baptism tank and Melissa says, I've spent 30 years feeling like I'm not good enough. And we say, you are good enough 
in Christ. You are his child. He died for you to save you and to welcome you into his family. That is prophecy. That is what we're talking about when we talk about prophecy. Here's why you need to know that. 1 Corinthians 14 is the battle of the church between prophecy and speaking in tongues. They're fighting over what's better. They're fighting over who's more spiritual. They're fighting over the the abuse of the gifts. And now, finally, we're diving in. Listen, I I know for some of you this is like, what are we talking about here? And and here's, here's my conviction. We have to get this right. We have to get this right. We not only owe it to ourselves spiritually, we owe it to our brothers and sisters in Christ We owe it to the 16-year-old kid that's going to find themselves in a barn on a Tuesday night where people go nuts. They They need to know what God's Word says so they don't spend 15 years running from the Holy Spirit over a bad experience. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Gifts of the Spirit, it's the Greek word pneumatikos. It means the spirituals or the thing the Spirit does. I don't have time to go into this, but I will just tell you, I have the personal conviction we totally miss it on spiritual gifts. We've created this test and this, 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 and this, and you have this gift, you don't. It's like, it's like a personality test or strength finders or something. Yep, you have these three, you don't have that, don't try it, right? That's not what Paul's language is saying here. He's talking about all of the things the Spirit does. What should we long for? All of the things that the Spirit does. But then he says, especially prophecy. When it comes to getting in a church setting, there is one more favorable than the other. Let's keep rifling through. 1 Corinthians 14 Two through five. He says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for the strengthening and encouraging and comfort. Verse four Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Paul makes a couple things very clear. Number one, tongues is directed to God to edify my spirit. It has nothing to do with other people. Tongues is directed to God to edify my spirit. It is a language, an other language, unto God for the edification of my spirit. Prophecy is directed to other people for the edification of the church. There is a huge difference in those two. Uh, I'll give you, we, we had, when I, was, when I was growing up, this was before I turned 16 and was on fire for God. Um, we were at this party. And we had this, this friend of mine who was just always a knucklehead. He was always jacking around. He was just fun to mess with, right? So we gave him a Sonic slushie, and we told him that it was filled with, uh, with vodka. We're like, oh, man, there's, there's vodka. And I don't, I don't even know what that is, right? But, I mean, we told him that, right? There's this Sonic slushie. Here's a cherry slushie, and it's filled with vodka. And so he starts sipping on it a little bit. And then he's, he's like, whoa, man, that's really strong, Whoa, and then he sips it a little more, and he's like, wow, 
whoa, dude, 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 somebody catch me. And we're like, there's nothing in him. You know, like, and he's, still, he's like, well, I don't know, somebody's going to have to drive me home. He literally, I kid you not, was pulling out of the driveway at night, ran over the curb, and nearly hit the neighbor's mailbox on a slushie that had nothing in it. We were like, dude, what are you, like, what are you doing? This is, this is, there's nothing in there. It's not, that is what Paul is saying to these charismatics, these Pentecostals that are acting out in tongues in front of people with no interpretation. He's saying, in fact, it's, it's not ironic here that in Acts 2, 12 through 13, what did they suggest? They said, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. What are we doing, really, though? If we just gather all together in a public gathering and everyone at a barn on a Tuesday night with a 16-year-old kid is just wailing in tongues, what does that do? That's exactly what Paul is asking. He's asking the question. Now, stay with me here. I told you, fellow Pentecostals, I'm going to step on your toes, but I'm going to bring it back. Let's keep going. 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 12. He says, now, brothers and sisters, he gives three illustrations here. So important to catch these. If I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Let me ask you a question. If I just went off in a prayer language right now, what does that benefit you? That's what he's asking. What is it? What good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Listen to the three illustrations. Verse 7. These are really, really important to catch. He says, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpeter, this is number two, if the trumpeter does not sound a clear call, who will be ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world. This is his third illustration. Yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker. And the speaker is a foreigner to me. Listen to verse 12. So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit. Young, zealous Pentecostals, you are fired up for the gifts of the Spirit. And you are zealous for the gifts of the Spirit. Listen to what Paul says. Try to excel in those that build up the church. He gives three illustrations. Music, trumpet, and languages. Where's Mario? Mario, come on up here. Come on. You guys give Mario a hand. This is the first illustration that Paul says. Paul says, if you have music, but you don't have the right key, you don't have the notes, you don't have the chords, you don't have the rhythm right, you're in big trouble. Mario, give us something that sounds beautiful. Let's, let's hear it. Let, let him go. know that one, right? What do we got? There it is! 
Beautiful. Great job. Great job. Give him a hand, right? <laughs> Wasn't that beautiful? He's available. Birthdays, quinceaneras, family parties, weddings. You'll find Mario. He is, he is available. He's great. Uh, wasn't that beautiful? Wasn't it beautiful? Wasn't, didn't it just sound harmonious? and into, Now, watch me try and play the same thing. You got me on here? Oh, my gosh. I don't even know where to start. Uh, the, uh, uh, excuse me? Uh, oh, this one right here? This one? Case in point, please. Is that not, is that not the point? Paul is saying, look, if you try to play something and you don't know how, it's just noise. It's all noise. What does Paul say? The gift out of order is noise. You're just making noise that does not bring harmony and life to the church. The second example he uses is the bugler. Do we have, guys, give me the first bugle call, please. Go. One of our people, I said, what was that? And he goes, the Astros. I said, no, no, no. That's charge. Okay, that's, that's good. Uh, you get it, right? That's the bugle call. Charge. Okay, you got a second one? Play the second one for me. Go ahead. Veterans, help us. What was that? Retreat. That was retreat. You have charge and you have retreat. What is the cost of mixing those up? A lot. You can make a massive mistake if you mix up charge with retreat. You know what else you can do? You can take a gift and use it inappropriately and cause major damage. That's what Paul's trying to say. Look at the third illustration. What does he say? He brings up language. He says, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. You know what was beautiful? When Flora came up here and she read in Spanish. Wasn't that beautiful? Oh, wasn't that beautiful? I mean, it was cool. I think when Andy and I go to a restaurant and he orders in Spanish, I'm like, wow, <laughs> aren't you cooler than I am, right? Like, it's really cool. But does it move me deep in my soul? Does it transform me? Were you just, those of you who don't speak Spanish, were you just so deeply moved by Flores speaking in Spanish that you just, your spirit was jumping? Uh, no, why? Because we don't understand. You see what Paul is, and, and then I love where Paul goes with this, but, but first, I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear me lovingly and compassionately as a fellow Pentecostal. If your whole theology of the Holy Spirit is based on speaking in tongues, you're missing it. If your entire theology of the Holy Spirit is based on speaking in other languages, you're just missing it. You're totally, it's exactly what Paul is saying. I promise, I'm going to be nicer to you here in a moment. 1 Corinthians 14, 13-17. He says, for this reason... 
the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. He says, for I pray in a tongue. Listen to him, this is, this is so good. This is for us foundational theology. What do we believe then? For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I want you to notice something. He uses two different words. He said, for the one who speaks, that is a Greek word for a public declaration. So he's saying, one who speaks in tongues, if you stand up and you let loose right now, you better have an interpreter on hand. Saying, if you, if you do that and you have an interpreter on hand, that's the order of a public gathering. If you don't, he tells you here in a moment. So he uses that word. When he talks about praying, it's a word that conveys personal intimacy. He has made a distinction here between speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. So listen to what he says. So he says, for, the, for I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? That's what we're all asking ourselves, right? What on earth do we do with all of this? Here's what Paul says. I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? Now listen, verse 17, he affirms again the praying, to, praying in the Spirit. You are giving thanks well enough. When you are praying in the Spirit, you're giving thanks unto God, but no one is edified. There is a difference between speaking and praying in tongues, and there is an order to all of this that must happen for this gift to thrive. I love 1 Corinthians 14, 15. I'll read it one more time. This is our foundation. When you said, hey, theologically, give me a foundational verse for what we believe. I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. We do both. I do both in proper order for the right purposes. When you have a gift out of control, you can do damage. When you have a gift under control, you can make incredible gains spiritually. I'm a fan of uh, bad boy mowers. Anybody else? Bad boy mower? Yes. Yes, I know you are. I've seen yours. It's bad. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-bad. Like, th these mowers are so incredible. They're big and strong. I have a friend who sells them, and so he's always got the latest edition. He, he demos them for six months, and these mowers are incredible. You know, for me, I would be fired up. I would spend my day on a zero turn chewing up a yard. I mean, they just, they're really, really, really cool. You can do all kinds of things with them. The problem is, I don't have a yard for it. However, there is a guy in my neighborhood who mows his yard with a zero turn when I tell our yards are not bigger than this stage and there's two hardwood trees in the middle of our yards right it's no bigger than this stage this guy spends more time jacking around trying to like finagle it up the curb and over and around the cars and back he, he's got all of this power but it's not in context and it just looks silly here is my goal as we move into now the gifts of the Spirit, that you would understand we have great power, but that great power has to be in order. Look at what Paul says. This is what I want to say to you, fellow Pentecostals. 
hear me. Because no doubt as they're reading this letter, they're like, man, what is Paul a Baptist? Golly, he's been hammering us the whole time, right? Like he wants nothing to do with our, with our expression of charismatic gifts right now. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, 18 through 20. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I thank God that I pray in tongues more than all of you. I thank God that I worship in tongues more than all of you. But then he says, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I love the fact that when my mind is cloudy and I'm distracted and I'm trying to prepare to, to preach on a Sunday morning and I'm standing down there and I, I may not know the lyrics to the song, I love that to myself I can, just, I can worship in tongues. I can worship in the spirit. And I love the fact that my mind is unfruitful, but my spirit begins to get encouraged. I love the fact that when I don't know how to pray and I'm burdened, I'm deeply burdened, and I just, my, I can't come up with the right words. I don't know what to say. I love that I can pray in the spirit, and I know that God hears me, and I know that my spirit's being edified. I love that I can do that. But when I stand right here, I'd rather speak five intelligible words. When I'm in the presence of other believers, I would rather lift you up and encourage you than do something that makes zero sense to you at all. And then listen to what Paul says. Verse 20. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Quit being childish with the gift. Quit being childish with this. In regard to evil be infants. In other words, when it comes to evil things, know nothing about them. But in your thinking, be adults. All right, let's give this uh, a little bit more so we can wrap application. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 28. Told you we're going through the whole book. He says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. What is our goal when we gather together? So that everything that's done will build up the body of Christ, will build up the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 28. He says, if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Another affirmation of just communication between you and God and the gift of the Spirit. It's another affirmation. Paul is saying, look, if you don't have an interpreter, just pray to yourself in the Spirit. God's going to hear you. You're going to be edified. 1 Corinthians 14, 32 through 33, we'll wrap this whole thing up. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. We need as charismatics to read this again. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. I had somebody come to me one time, and they said, hey, um, I, I actually went to them, and I said, hey, during worship, do you mind not doing this? And they said, look, I just, when, when the Holy Spirit touches me, and, I, and, and it hits me, I have, to, I have no choice but to do this, was the exact, I have no choice but to do this when the Holy Spirit hits me. You know what I said? I didn't quote this. I said the only time in Scripture where a spirit seizes someone that they can't control is when it's demonic. It's the only time. 
The only time in Scripture when a spirit seizes somebody and they do not have control. They cannot control. It's demonic. What is the spirit here? It says the spirit of the prophet. By the way, they don't come to church here anymore. Uh, the spirit of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of chaos, but a God of peace. All right, application. Let's wrap some application around this, okay? Why is praying in tongues or praying in other languages, why is it important to you as a believer? Why is it important to you? I'm going to give you three reasons. Number one, spirit edification. 1 Corinthians 14.4, what does Paul say? Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Edify is a Greek word for construction. It simply means to build up. So he's saying when you pray, when you worship in a tongue, you are building your spirit up. You are putting blocks of the spirit into your soul. You're building yourself up. Number two, why is it important? Help in our weakness. This is probably the most important for me. Romans 8 verse 26, Paul says in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the spirit himself intercedes for us. Through wordless groans. When you don't know what to pray, when you are so brokenhearted, you just, you don't have the right words. You don't know what words would make sense. You're woken up at 3 a.m. and you are just burdened, deeply burdened, but you don't know what to pray. The Spirit helps you in your weakness. The Spirit will make wordless groans in your weakness on your behalf. Number three, uh, another big reason why praying in the Spirit is important. Romans 8 verse 27 says, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You are praying the perfect will of God. When you don't know what to pray, the Spirit within you knows what to pray. Hey, we've reached this point. Let me just ask you this question. Is it really hard to believe now at this point that the Spirit of God could make utterance on your behalf? And you wouldn't understand. I mean, we believe He can raise the dead. We believe He can heal the sick. But whoa, 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 make an utterance that I don't understand? I don't, I don't know about that. Is it, is it really that hard to believe that, man, God could speak through your spirit and something you don't understand, but that would edify you, that would meet you in your weakness, that would pray out the perfect will of God? Let me leave you with these. We have different types of people in this room. We have, one, people that are closed. People that are like, nope, told you in the beginning, this ain't for me. Uh, I, that stuff's emo, and I got a master's degree, so I'm not interested in anything that you have to say about speaking in tongues, right? Here's what I would encourage you to, to, to heed in your spirit. This is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Is it too hard for you to eagerly desire more? 1 Corinthians 14, 5, he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. In 14.8, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Verse 39, he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Maybe for you, it's just a, a exploration of what is more. Maybe for you, this is the first time clearly in scripture, outside of experience and influence, where you can say, you know what? Maybe there's something for my soul to investigate here. For those of you that are open and exploring, let me give you some steps moving forward, okay? Step number one is meet with God about it. Make time, make space in your devotional life. Sit down, 
open the scriptures, read through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, read through 12, 13, and 14, read Romans 8, read Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, read every occurrence and say, God, will you speak to me about what is happening here? Understand what happens is also important. Uh, Remember, the spirit of the prophets subject to the prophets. Something doesn't just overtake you and you have no control of what's going on, right? You are the one who makes the utterance The Spirit is speaking on your behalf. It will be an utterance that you don't understand, but the Spirit is speaking on your behalf. And it will be weird, and it will be awkward at first, and then all of a sudden, you will catch a flow, and God will begin to move through you. Number three is this. Talk to someone who prays in another language. I'm sure you have crazy friends, right? I'm sure you... (laughs) No, listen. People who are crazy, who who are Holy Spirit people... Uh, They were crazy before the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit didn't make them crazy. They were nuts before. But talk to somebody about it. I would be happy to have coffee or lunch with any of you that want to have a deeper conversation about this subject. But find a friend and just talk to them. Okay? Uh, Let's land here. Let Let me leave you with this. A pastor who's a friend of mine. He pastors... Uh, I think it's the largest Pentecostal church in Houston. He took it over from his dad. Um, wonderful guy, good friend, just a, a mentor and a, a prophet to me, a word of life and encouragement all the time to me. Um, we were talking, and he took over this Pentecostal church from his dad. And he said one of the things that he recognized inside of this Pentecostal church is they were doing things that you didn't exactly see in Scripture. <laughs> he said, imagine that, right? We, I take over this church, and I'm reading Scripture, and I'm looking and I'm like, wow, I grew up doing that and I probably shouldn't find the open spirit rub oil in his hair and wail over him, right? I, guess I probably just shouldn't do those things uh, in a church gathering. So he said he was confronted with this reality of pastoring a massive Pentecostal church and yet questioning some of the things that they were doing. And he said, and this is, you know, his dad was the pastor beforehand. So there's that tension of like, am I going to disobey my dad if I go this direction? Is he going to be upset with me? And so he said he had this, just this battle in his soul. And he began to question praying in other languages and speaking in other languages. And he said, I just began to doubt. I began to question myself. And he found himself on a missions trip to, I can't remember what country it was, but it was a country that didn't speak English, right? So he shows up on this missions trip, and he's there, and he's just in the back, and he's really battling through all of this charisma that he can't make sense of, and he's got this massive Pentecostal church that he's leading. He just doesn't know what to do. So uh, the pastor at the very end, he's speaking through a translator. He said, we're going to have a moment for the Holy Spirit to move. I'm going to open up the altar, and I want you to come forward. And so they all came forward, and he said, I was sitting in the back, and I was like, no, I'm not doing that. No, I'm not doing that. He said, sure enough, Holy Spirit spoke to his heart. Go forward. So he goes forward, and he said, man, here I am, this American pastor, and they honored me before, and now I'm at the altar, and I'm just confused, and I'm trying to wander through. And then, sure enough, what does the pastor do? He said, all of you, speak in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. So he said, then the whole front row just starts praying in the Spirit, and I'm like, great, the thing I'm wrestling with now, you're praying in, so I'm standing there. And he said, all of the sudden, faint and off to the side, he said, I heard this woman, and he said it was in perfect English. And in perfect English, she was crying out over and over, my son, you can trust me. My son, you can trust me. My son, 
you can trust me. My son, you can trust me. My son, you can trust me. My son, you can trust me. And he said, man, I could not believe it. So I went over to her and I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, do you know what you're saying? And she looked at him and shook her head. I said, do you have any idea? Did anyone say that to you? She shook her head. And he said, in that moment, God spoke to me that you can trust my spirit. And you can trust me to lead you to utterance. You can trust me to lead you to prayer. That's my, that's my whole prayer for you, is that you find a new trust with the Lord, that you find a new foundation for theology today, that you know exactly where you stand, and most importantly, that you begin to walk in and operate in the gift of the Spirit that's going to edify your soul. It's going to meet you in your weakness, and it's going to help you pray the perfect will of God in order in a safe space.